So I got a message last week on LinkedIn from an IBM executive who says, Pat, I've been at IBM for a while. I've been following your content for a few years, but I make very good money at IBM. I'm not making 100, 150. I'm making good money at IBM, but I really want to be an entrepreneur. However, I got a wife and three kids, and I'm kind of worried. You know, should I do, should I not do it? What do you think? And we started kind of going back and forth. So then last week, this week, Kai puts a list of all these episodes to do. And one of the ones is, Pat, what is the alternative to entrepreneurship? I said, perfect, let's make this episode because a lot of people ask about it. The number one alternative for entrepreneurship is intrapreneurship. Intrapreneurship. This is when you're part of a company, but you're an entrepreneur within a company. But what does that really mean? And can I really be an entrepreneur within a company? Well, I think I am. Am I not? What are the qualities of being an entrepreneur within a company? I'm going to talk about eight qualities of an entrepreneur and the right companies that breed and attract entrepreneurs. So before I get into the episode, I want to tell you the story about what happened yesterday that has everything to do with today's episode. Yesterday, Kai from Norway asked me a question, say, Pat, what do you think has more influence, nature or nurture, meaning were you born with it or were you raised and developed with it, right? And I said, look, there's probably got to be a little bit of both, but there's probably more on this side than this side. However, I think a lot of people are forced into situations. Let me explain to you. Yes, I'm living in Germany and my mom has no money and my dad is in Iran trying to go to U.S. and we're broke. You know, we're living at a refugee camp and I have to figure out a way to make money because I want to buy the Super Nintendo because I like this girl who's from Czechoslovakia. And so I figure out a way to make it work by going to a local pool and I make my 250 marks. I go to Kaufhof and I buy the Super Nintendo. Yes, that could be a sign of a person saying, You know, that's nature, Pat, but it also could be I was forced to do it because I didn't have any alternatives. If my mother had the money to buy it, maybe I don't go to the swimming pool to collect a beer bottle. So I can't answer that question for you, but I can tell you what happened later on. On me deciding to start my own insurance agency, my own financial firm, I'm part of a company and I'm growing in this company. And I never really had plans of being an entrepreneur, meaning I'm going to put all my money and start a company and doing all this other stuff. My idea was, let me figure out a way to go make my money, become a CEO within a company, own a piece of this company, and then I can invest in other companies, and we can raise and make other types of uh, investments where that becomes into money and millions and billions and all this other stuff, opportunities. But one day, I sent a 16-page letter, nine points to this company that I wanted them to consider making some adjustments. I sent it to the president all these other guys. And uh, nobody responded back. Then I sent it to the parent company. It's a $400 billion company. And within 30 minutes, a guy named Jack, very nice man, responds back. And Susan, who would never respond back, she set up a meeting in Irvine. And I told him, one by one by one, my ideas, right? I'm an entrepreneur. I'm sharing these ideas with them. They come back and they try to do some of it. But the lady, Susan, shuts the entire thing down, right? Susan forced this entrepreneur to become an entrepreneur. She forced me because she cornered me and then I went and became an entrepreneur. I had no idea or no desire to want to go put all my savings and become an entrepreneur and get sued, late nights, 100 hour work week for three, four, five years. No desire force. Now some of you may be watching and saying, well Pat, I'm an 18 year old kid. I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur because I've been following your content for four years. Well you are inspired. Maybe you watched Founder, McDonald's, and I want to be the next Ray Kroc. I want to be the next Jobs. I want to be the next whoever because you were inspired. But I want to go a little bit deeper here with you as well. 
$42.3 billion is the net worth of the richest entrepreneur in the world, Steve Ballmer. Steve Ballmer went and worked at Microsoft, became the CEO through stocks, bonuses. He's now worth $42.3 billion, the richest entrepreneur in the world. And now he owns multiple different teams, businesses, companies, stocks, shares, all this other stuff. Steve Jobs, who is a very famous entrepreneur, starts Apple with Wozniak, then gets fired in 1985. He's worth $250 million, sells every single one of his shares, which at the time he owned 20% of the company, keeps only one share so he can get all the updates of what's going on with Apple, leaves, becomes an entrepreneur again, starts a couple ventures, next, Pixar. Pixar ends up blowing up. Pixar ends up being bought by Disney after Eisner leaves. The new CEO comes, buys Pixar from him for $7.4 billion. The $7.4 billion that he gets paid, obviously not all of the shares he owned. He owned 138 million shares of the company. And then he gets back to Apple and he becomes an entrepreneur. And when he goes back to Apple, he negotiates a deal for them to give him 5.5 million shares of Apple and that 5.5 million shares of Apple is how he made other ways of billions of dollars. By the way, he ended up being the, the biggest shareholders of Disney uh, in the world because of Pixar. What's the moral of the story? Even Jobs became an entrepreneur. Even though he was an entrepreneur, he ended up becoming an entrepreneur. And he wanted to be an entrepreneur because where he worked at before Apple, he had so many ideas, but they forced him out. So having said that, I'm going to explain to you a couple things. One. What are qualities of entrepreneurs and whether you are part of a company that breeds and attracts entrepreneurs and what kind of companies to look for that do. And this is why entrepreneurship is the number one alternative to entrepreneurship. So having said that, let me get right into it. Number one, entrepreneurs, great entrepreneurs, they think like an entrepreneur. Very simple. They work like an entrepreneur. They're not nine to five. I can't wait to go home. I got to go party. They can't. They're working nine to, they're, they're working 80, 100 hours a week because they're always thinking, what about this, what about that, what about this? Their wiring is very similar. They're urgent like an entrepreneur. We gotta figure out a way to get this thing now. What, who is this, can we get a hold of them? I don't wanna get on the phone with them now. We gotta get a meeting with this person. We gotta go get this thing done. When can we get the product? Can we get it up by Q1? To them, they still have the same level of urgency. They're innovative, always thinking about ways to be innovative. Number five, they push the envelope. They're kind of uncomfortable sometimes to be around because they're always pushing the envelope. Can we do this? Why can't we do this? This, Pat, this doesn't make any sense. I get it, but why can't we do it? We got to figure out a way. The entrepreneurs push the envelope, which means people, companies who don't like entrepreneurs don't like entrepreneurs that push the envelope. But entrepreneurs push the envelope. Number six, they're protective of the brand. They, they speak a different language. They don't say you, your company. They say our, we, us, I, we, it's our brand, it's my brand, it's our company. The language is a different language than a your company, your business, your deal. That's not an entrepreneur. This is my company. Somebody that says your, 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 they're saying to you that soon I'm leaving to another company and they go from company to company to company to company to company. Entrepreneurs, this is my brand. I own it. I'm a part of it. You don't know it, but I'm a part of this brand myself. Number seven, they treat resources like their own. They don't take the money. Oh, let's just throw it here, throw it here, throw it. They're very protective of the money because the one thing you need to realize about an entrepreneur is an entrepreneur that puts their own money up, they're more protective of $22 than anybody else will ever be. But entrepreneurs, they also understand how hard it is to make the money and they're that protective about the cash and the resource that the company has. The one thing that's different about entrepreneurs that end up going to the top 
They're typically diplomatic with the founder and the entrepreneur of the company because they have that respect to say, look, I think like you, I work like you, I'm wired like you, I gotta say, I'm innovative, I protect the money, I, I believe in the brand, you know, everything you got going, I'm, I'm the same as you, but you put up the money, you took all the risk, you lost those nights, you put up all those hours, I have so much respect for you, this is why I'm diplomatic with you, and I give you that respect. Because without you, I can't be an entrepreneur because you were the founder. That is the only real difference between the entrepreneur and the entrepreneur on the way they think. Because the entrepreneur founded the company, but the entrepreneur found the company. Big difference. I found it, I found you. Big difference. Make sense? It's not one is more important than the other. There's just a level of respect that takes place, right? So now having said that, you're saying, Pat, I kind of feel like I'm still an entrepreneur. I'm not an entrepreneur. Totally fine. But you may be saying, dang, this kind of makes sense. I, I think I am an entrepreneur. So, Pat, where can I go to find something like this where a company breeds entrepreneurs? Let me give you a perfect example. Companies who attract entrepreneurs, okay? Number one, they foster entrepreneurs internally. It's a language. It's a language of saying, hey, we within the company are looking for X, Y, Z. We within the company are looking for dot, dot, dot. We within the company are looking for this. We within the company, and so people are sitting there saying, man, I want to be an entrepreneur. Man, I, I love this kind of an environment. Oh my gosh, you mean to tell me I can go out there and do such a thing? Yes. Wow, this is, I can come out of community, committee and come up with ideas. Yes, I love this. This is exactly what I want it to be. So the idea I had of leaving the company and going and starting my own deal, gone. Because I can already do all that stuff here without having to risk putting up my savings, without having to risk three years of all these issues I went through. I'm all in. Good to go. Perfect. Number two, they're comfortable with a level of risk and creativity. Look, I'm negotiating with a, a carrier recently. And while I'm in a room and they start talking, I just lost it for like two minutes and I went in, into La La Land. Okay? And here's all I started thinking about. They're saying what they're saying in the boardroom. And it's a very big company. Very big company. They're saying what they're saying in the boardroom. And what they're saying... They're indirectly sharing their frustration of the guy at the top of the company who whatever they say, he rejects. So because he rejects, these guys are just playing defense. They're not playing offense because the guy at the top is afraid of risk and creativity. So that's why they've been flat like this for a while as a company. Okay, They've been flat like this for a while in the company. And I'm sitting there saying, wow. None of you are entrepreneurs. You're just, you know, clicking, you know, clipping coupons and can't wait for your retirement come in and just to be gone and play golf and hang out with your grandkids. That's all you're thinking about. And I said, I, I have sympathy for you guys. I respect you guys. You've been in this. You make it work, but you don't have a guy at the top that believes, that believes in breeding entrepreneurs. Terrible environment if you're an entrepreneur wanting to go and work with the company and be an entrepreneur. Terrible. But because they didn't believe in risk and creativity. Number three, not afraid of creating linchpins. Let me explain to you what's a linchpin. You put the pin that holds it so that things don't fall out, right? Let's put an image of it so people know what a linchpin is. So what's a linchpin? Without a linchpin, everything falls apart, right? Some companies are afraid of linchpins. Who's the author that wrote the book Linchpin, by the way? Seth Golden wrote the book Linchpin, right? Some companies are afraid of linchpins because they don't like people that are irreplaceable. So meaning... If you, all of a sudden, a company become way too powerful, some companies are like, oh my gosh, we better fire this guy before, blah, 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 blah. No, 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 no. You, you like that guy to stay around. You like that person that have a lot of influence. We have, we have so many people here in the company 
that at this point they have so much influence over the field, so much influence over the company, so much influence over our carriers, our technology. I'm like, awesome, because they lock in those relationships. But some companies are afraid of linchpins. They're like, wait a minute, that guy's a threat. One day he could take over my position. Fire this guy. This guy's a threat. Fire this guy. It's almost like back in the days when Claudius was one of the emperors, Rome, and he marries Agrippina, I think is her name, who was his niece, weird story, and she has a son named Nero, and she secretly doesn't like Claudius, because Claudius was crippled, he had some health issues. She secretly knows Claudius has a son, and she wants Nero to be the emperor, so what does she do? She eliminates her son, kills the son, kills the husband, then Nero becomes the emperor, and then the entire time, Claudius introduces Seneca to Nero to teach him Stoicism. So Nero becomes a leader and a voice for this country. But Nero starts realizing the two people that have a lot of influence over them, the linchpins, are his mom and Seneca. So he kills his mom. I mean, you got to go read the story. And he goes and eliminates Seneca because these are linchpins. And then he's all by himself. And guess what happens to him at the end? He's so afraid of linchpins that eventually he has to get eliminated. So these stories about linchpins is nothing new. This has been going on for a while. But a company that breeds and fosters entrepreneurs loves linchpins. Because they look at a linchpin and say, my gosh, this guy one day could run this entire company. He's a we person, not a, not a you person. He sees this brand like his own. And number four, last one. Their comp structure is created in a way to breed entrepreneurs. Let me explain. If I'm an entrepreneur... An entrepreneur may come to the company and say, listen, you guys are this much. If I personally bring the company, I bring the company $60 million this year of my own money, can I get this? Yes. Do you understand what I'm saying? The comp structure has to be built for an entrepreneur to make that potential of money so he can go out there and think, work, act, innovate, treat the money like his own, like an entrepreneur, but stay as an entrepreneur within the company, and he can still make that kind of money. An entrepreneur, a st- certain compliance structure set up within the company where the entrepreneur can make more than just six figures because he brought that kind of money to the company. So hopefully a lot of this stuff makes sense. I know I've never talked about entrepreneurship before, but so many of you guys have been asking about it, especially uh, the, the professional community on LinkedIn. I said, let me make this episode. Some of the younger people watching this, you may say, well, I don't really know if I like it because, Pat, You've been talking so much about entrepreneurs. I just want to be an entrepreneur. This is for an audience of people that are sitting there saying, there's got to be a different alternative to entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship with the right company who fosters entrepreneurs is a great combination for you as an alternative. Okay, so having said all of that stuff, you're sitting here saying, okay, Pat, I got it. Now what? Okay, the one thing you got to know is before you become a CEO, you got to kind of think like a CEO, right? If you don't think like, you don't become a CEO and say, okay, now that I'm a CEO, let me start thinking like a CEO. I want you to start thinking about what a CEO thinks about. These are nine, this is a video I did titled 19 Qualities of a Great CEO that breaks down how a CEO's brain is wired. So whether you're going to be an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur, you got to learn how to think like a CEO regardless of what happens. And if you want today's PDF, send a text message 747-260-8461, 747-260-8461. We will send a PDF of today's episode. And for some of you that are commuters, you have a long drive. A lot of people ask me, say, Pat, do you guys have a podcast? We have a podcast. I can, matter of fact, let's put a link over here of our podcast 
uh, going to iTunes. We have nearly 300 of our episodes on podcasts you can listen to while you're working out or driving your car and get the content there as well. Most people don't know about this. The podcast community generally doesn't even know about the YouTube channel. There are two different communities, but for some of you guys that are following the content on YouTube, click over here to go watch the podcast as well. And if you haven't subbed, click on the link below to subscribe to Value Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. 